the Easy Money Show with Cam Fats. It's powered by EpicConversions.com and the Insiders Club. Welcome to another episode. Hey, what is up? What is up? What is up? This is Cam Jennings, aka Zero Fats, aka Cam Fats, coming at you on behalf of Epic Conversions. And the Epic Conversions Insiders Club. Welcome to another episode of the Easy Money Show. Hope everybody's doing amazing this fine, fine Tuesday evening. This is about 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time in this great sunny state of Ohio. And I am happy to be here. I hope you guys are doing well. Welcome to the Easy Money Show. The place where we are generally aware that people make money online. And we even talk about it sometimes. <laughs> so I want to get this episode started off. Um, I want to get this episode started off <clears throat> by talking about a question that I hear a lot in the internet marketing space. And that question is, how do I start? How do I get started? I don't know where to start. There is so much information out there. There are so many different strategies and so many different plans and so many different opinions and so many different gurus pulling me in so many different directions. I really just have no clue how to start. I think it's human nature uh, to feel that way, especially when you get bombarded with a lot of information. And I really don't know anybody these days who's connected on the internet who's not getting bombarded with a bunch of information. I really don't. I mean, we have information bombarding us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's like you can't turn around without being flooded with a just a stream of information on whatever topic you choose to care about, right? Whether I care about you know dogs or guinea pigs or the flood in Texas, there is a steady stream of information flooding the internet for me to consume. And that's no different if you start becoming curious about internet marketing or how to make money on the internet. It's, it's no different. Yeah, you know, As soon as you start looking into it, you're going to get a steady stream of information uh, coming right at you. You really are. Just one second, guys. Let me um, just check in something here. Yeah, you're getting a steady stream of information coming right at you. So the question is, how do I start? How do I get started? And I'll tell you, I, I'll give you my opinion on it. Um, and, you know, I'm a guy who makes a very healthy five figures a year on the Internet, about fifty dollars to $60,000 a year I make on the Internet with digital products and e-learning. And I'll tell you what I think, you know. I think that you get started in two ways. One of the two ways, all right? Uh, there's two ways you can choose to get started, right? One of those ways is to build an audience, audience building, right? Audience building is key. And when we talk about audience building, just understand that your email list is the core of the audience, okay? The email is the core. Um, but the audience building can start on YouTube. The audience building can start on Facebook. The audience building can start on Instagram. It can start on Twitter. It can start on any of these social platforms. Now you'll notice I didn't mention blog 
in that. I didn't mention that the, the audience building can start on your blog. And I'll tell you something. I didn't mention it because I don't believe that's where the audience building starts. I don't believe that audience building starts on your blog, right? More on that later in this episode. But I don't believe that's where audience building starts. A little bit later on, we're going to talk about blogging. I want to talk about if blogging is dead or not. We're going to get into that, but not quite yet. Audience building is one way you can get started online, right? And then you might think, well, how do I audience build? How do I do that? You know, I don't know how to build an audience. <clears throat> There's a lot of ways to do it. You can do it with a podcast. You can do it by publishing consistently um, on YouTube. That's the key, though. You know, whether it's YouTube videos, whether it's posts to Facebook, whether it's pictures and simple videos to Instagram. Whether it's a podcast, the key, I think, with audience building is publishing consistently. You know, commit to publishing consistently. That could be once a week, right? It could be three times a week, you know, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. It could be once a day if you're feeling saucy, if you're feeling up to it. It could be once a day. But, you know, the key to audience building to me is, is consistent publishing. I mean, I, I always use this example. You, you could be a guy who, who knows how to build decks on houses, right? You know, and you decide, you know, you have 20 years of experience and, and you're going to, you know, you're going to write a book. It's going to be the most comprehensive deck building book known to man in the world, right? And you're going to publish it. Right. And all these, you know, wannabe deck builders are going to buy your book and you're going to be amazing for, for like a couple of months. Right. And this is going to be a fantastic book. Maybe even the rest of the year, you're going to be amazing. Right. And they're going to see you as this awesome person. Now, what if you have a twin brother and he knows as much about deck building as you do. Right. And he decides to go a different path. And, and what he does is he decides He's going to, instead of doing like uh, a book on deck building that has all his knowledge in it, what he's going to do is he's going to publish a YouTube video a week, you know, and he's going to write a blog article a week, right? You know, and, and the YouTube video is going to, you know, talk about his blog. And, and every week he's going to put out another piece of content about some stuff he knows about deck building, right? And this is a lot of content, right? You know, this is a couple years worth of content. So who sustains authority longer? Who stays in a position of authority longer? The guy who writes the big book or the guy who drips out small pieces of content week after week after week after week over the course of a year or two? And let me tell you something. I think we all know the answer to that question. It's the guy who is sustainably dripping out content week after week after week after week. He's publishing consistently. He didn't have to put all his information out there at once. He published it a little bit of time. He just dripped information out there. And by doing so, he earned the loyalty of an audience, right? Because his audience came to his audience came to enjoy him putting out content every week, like a weekly show or something that they enjoyed watching. Like me, I'm a fan of the show Survivor. I love that damn show. And I watch it like when it's out, I love watching it, right? And it always comes out on the same day, and I always watch it. So I love that show. And when it comes out, I watch it. 
you know, and, and, and that's kind of what happens, you know? So the guy who's publishing consistently, he's maintaining authority longer than the guy who just publishes a book. Because in 2017, maybe the guy who publishes a book is an authority. In 2018, now his book's a little dated. In 2019, now his book's a couple years old. It's, you know, you don't know if it's still relevant. Has it still got all the most current deck building information? I don't know. Is there anything new cool that came out? Are there some new deck building discoveries that came out in 2019 that I don't know about? Maybe this book from 2017 won't know about those because it wasn't out yet, right? Now, this guy who's publishing consistently every single week, on the other hand, he's publishing the latest and the greatest every single week, right? So this idea of publishing consistently and dripping out small bits of content is very powerful, and it is more powerful than just publishing a book. And I'm not saying you can't do both. I'm not saying you can't do both. Why can't you double dip? I don't see why you can't double dip. Publish the damn book. Get all that massive amount of authority that you get by publishing the book and then also drip content out on a blog. Why not? I've seen lots of people drip content out on a blog or a YouTube channel and then take a lot of that content, kind of compile it up together and publish it in book form. Uh, matter, of that, matter of fact, Mark Cuban did that with his book. <clears throat> but yeah, that's one way that you can, you can get started. Publish consistently, build an audience. How else? What's the second way that you can get started on the internet? What's the second way you can get started? The second way is really easy. The second way is throw money at it, right? So if you want to get into this paid advertising game, um, you can get into it with affiliate marketing, right? You can get into paid advertising with affiliate marketing. And, and the way this game works is <clears throat> you find a good offer that you want to promote, right? And then you start buying ads, say, on Facebook, for example. Start buying ads on Facebook to promote that offer. Okay, so what happens generally, and this is what happens for the pros. This isn't just what happens for, like, the newbies. This is what happens for the pros. When you start advertising for that offer, you will be losing money, right? And then you adjust the ad, and, and the goal is to get to break even. The goal is to get to break even. You're trying to get your ad to the place where it's breaking even, right? Because when you first start off, it's like spend $50, lose $50. Spend $50, lose $50, right? And then what happens is eventually you adjust it to the point where it's like spend $50, make $50. So now you're breaking even, right? But it, it usually it happens like spend $50, make $25. Spend $50, make $25. And then it's like spend $50, make $50, right? So now like you're breaking even. And then once you get to break even point, then maybe you scale up a little bit and now it's spend $75, make $100. Spend $75, make $100. Now you scale it up more and now you scale it up more. And then, oh, you messed up. Now you're losing money again. So then you back off and you try something different and now you're making more money. And that's how that works. That's how that paid advertising game works. Either way, you know, you're going to either spend time building that audience or you're going to spend lots of money, right? You're going to spend lots of money learning how to do paid advertising. And let me tell you something, even pros 
lose money when they start, but they throw more money at it, get it to break even, and then move on to profitability with the offer. Beginners just lose money. They get frustrated and they walk away. Beginners usually don't even have enough money to throw at it to collect enough data to adjust it properly and get to money, right? They don't even have enough data to get to break even, right? They just throw about 30 or $40 at it, get frustrated, and they can't make it work. Then they go buy another course on how to make it work. That's what beginners do, right? But the pros start in the hole pretty much on every offer, and then they get it to break even point, and then they move into profit, right? And that's how that works. Now, I'm not speaking from experience, of course. I, I would I would categorize myself, you know, a uh, beginner to intermediate when it comes to paid advertising. That's not really my ball game. Organic free traffic is my ball game. Social media marketing is my ball game. Audience building is my ball game. I'm I'm good at building audiences, uh, putting people on email lists. That's my ball game. But I just want you to understand when we're talking about how to start, there's two ways to start, right? And this idea that paid traffic is faster, I think is a load of shit. I mean, not pardon my French, you know, but I think it's a load of crap. I think that, you know, when you start with paid advertising, you are going to lose money in the beginning. You, you are going to lose money because you're learning. You're learning how to do it, right? You're learning how to do it. I've wasted lots of money on paid advertising, lots, thousands of dollars, and I'm still not very good at it. You will spend money learning how to do paid advertising. That's all there is to it. You will. Um, but either way, you're going to spend money learning how to do paid advertising or you're going to spend time learning how to do content marketing or learning how to do social media marketing or learning how to do uh, YouTube video marketing. You're, you're going to spend time doing all those things and you're probably going to waste money. But at the same time, I think those are the two ways to start. You either start with audience building or you start with uh, you know blowing shitloads of money on learning paid advertising. I think that's uh, that's the two big ways to start. That's my take on it. You know, some of you might agree, some of you might not agree. Uh, but I've been doing this for a little while now, and if I want to summarize all the different ways that people make money on the internet, it really comes down to those two. It really does. It comes down to those two different ways to make money online. That's what I would say about that. <clears throat> That's what I would say about that. I'll let you guys know that the uh, the show tonight is brought to you on behalf of the Epic Conversions Insiders Club. That's my monthly membership program. It's a discount club. Free mentoring for my insiders. Once a month, we do group mentoring, right? And that's basically a Q&A powwow. We, I sit down with all the insiders. They ask me all the questions they want to about their businesses. I look at their websites. Um, they ask me questions about their email marketing, whatever they got going on. I get them on the right track. It's basically free coaching for my insiders, right? It's a discount club. I aim it to be the Netflix of internet marketing. That's right. Epic versus Insiders Club. It's the Netflix internet marketing space, right? We drop weekly actionable content in the Insiders Club. 
every week I drop another piece of actionable content in the Insiders Club. Just put a new piece of content out this past Monday. It's every Monday, by the way. Just put a new piece of content out there on uh, uh, traffic dr traffic driving strategy uh, using simple manifestos to drive traffic. Pretty nice, pretty nice piece of content. Uh, this Friday. Uh, we're going to be launching a new product in the Insiders Club, exclusive. Um, it's called uh, Shoot the Gift. It's a, uh, it's a uh, course on uh, how to build an audience with a podcast. Pretty great. Pretty great stuff. That's dropping Friday. In the Insiders Club, we launch a new product every single month. Every single month, Insiders get a new product. Okay? little plug for the uh, Epic Conversions Insiders Club. If you want to know more about that, check it out over epicconversions.com. You'll find it in the right-hand column called the Insiders Club. Check it out. <clears throat> I want to talk for a minute about YouTube. I want to talk about my experience with YouTube and what people are calling the yellow dollar sign of death. You guys know about the yellow dollar sign of death? The new, uh, it's a new thing going on with YouTube. It's been coming up. Yellow dollar sign of death. So how this works is when you monetize a video on YouTube now, it'll be a green little dollar sign, right? But sometimes the green little dollar sign very quickly will turn into a yellow dollar sign. And what that means is your video is not showing ads because it has been identified that it is not ad friendly right so what happens is basically yeah you might or might not know this but youtube has an artificial intelligence I'm not trying to kill all science fiction on you guys i'm not trying to get all uh skynet here but it's the truth youtube has an artificial intelligence it's constantly learning and, and it's making changes sometimes it makes mistakes you know, sometimes they fix the mistake, sometimes they don't. Um, so why, why, why is this here? Why is this yellow dollar sign of death here? Because what it means is whenever you have that yellow dollar sign on your videos on YouTube, you're not going to be making money on those videos. Not, not like with AdSense, not with ad revenue, right? You're not going to be making money with ad revenue on those videos, right? So. I'll tell you something. The way that works um, is is this. Uh, I think it was last year, maybe. A lot of advertisers started pulling out of YouTube. They started getting frustrated with YouTube. They started pulling out big time, right? Big time advertisers started pulling out of YouTube. They were boycotting YouTube. YouTube was losing millions of dollars, right? So as a result, to kind of like lure those advertisers back. YouTube really started cleaning things up. They really started, you know, training their artificial intelligence to kind of really cater to certain kinds of videos. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, when this yellow dollar sign of death started popping up, now you have content creators who are like, whoa, they're losing tons of money, right, is what it boils down to. Because you got to understand, there's YouTube content creators out there that are not marketers right? There's marketers out there that suck at YouTube. And then there's YouTube content creators out there that suck at marketing. 
Well, there's YouTube content creators out there that suck at marketing who have like millions of subscribers. And like they were doing really well with YouTube ad revenue, right? But the problem with that is ad revenue is inconsistent. Now, anybody who's watching my channel who's a marketer understands that. Ad revenue is inconsistent. That's not a good way. That's not a good business model. It's too inconsistent. It's not sustainable. You don't know what it's going to be from one month to the next, right? It's not sustainable. It's not a good way to earn a living, right? There's better ways to earn a living, especially when you've built a brand on YouTube, right? But anyways, a lot of these content creators were, you know, making lots of money with ad revenue. I mean, and you will make lots of money when you're, you're getting millions and millions of views every day, right? But when this yellow dollar sign of death started coming around, like people start getting hit because that artificial intelligence, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't always doing things right, right? It was just like taking, you know, it was basically, you know, <laughs> man, they needed a surgeon's knife and what they got was a cannon. <laughs> I'll put it that way. They needed a surgeon's knife to, to find the videos that were not advertiser friendly and what they got was a giant cannon to just take giant shots at all these at all these content creators and all these videos um when i started doing this podcast in fact every single one of these episodes were coming out uh not advertiser friendly now what i noticed was after a few days some of them would come back to being advertiser friendly so it kind of like fluctuate on and off, you know, and it was almost like the artificial intelligence was, you know, it made its mind up about something and then like it came back to it and it kind of second guessed itself or something. It's really kind of weird. It's really kind of weird. I put in for a manual check. I wanted a manual review of some of my videos because I was like, hey, you know, this is this is crazy. This this is advertiser friendly. There's nothing wrong with this video. But uh. In order to get the the manual review, you have your video has to have at least a thousand views within the last seven days. <laughs> so, good luck with that. Good luck with that. But anyways, uh, that's my experience with the yellow dollar sign of death. Um, it, it, it's here's what I'll tell you guys about YouTube. Okay, number one. Okay, YouTube is. Uh, a more competitive environment than it was a few years ago when I started. Um, YouTube is a harder environment to make ad revenue on than it was a few years ago when I started, right? It's a harder platform to make ad revenue on than it was when I first started. If you want to get paid with Google AdSense in the front of your videos, it's a little harder to do that now, okay? Because you got to pay a lot more attention to that yellow dollar sign of death. You got to pay a lot more attention about what you're putting in your videos, right? They're looking for certain kinds of videos to put their ads in front of, right? And YouTube's becoming more picky about what kind of videos that is. Um, but, guys, that is not why any of you should be on YouTube. And all these YouTube content creators out there who are not marketers, and they're just making all their money off of ad revenue, they're fools. They are absolute fools, right? And I'm just going to say it like it is. They are absolute fools. Listen, there's no, listen, there's no reason why under the sun, why anyone should have 5 million 
subscribers on a YouTube channel and can't figure out how to make that into more money than just what you get with ad revenue. It's absolutely ridiculous. Five million people have subscribed to your channel, found your content interesting enough to subscribe to it and come back for more. And the only way that you know how to get paid is by having commercials in the front of the video. It's amazing to me. Anyone who's put five million people on a YouTube channel should be good for at least one course on how to do YouTube. Do you guys not agree? You let me know. Send me an email. Let me know. I want to know. CamGenicsPro at gmail.com. Let me know what you think. Are you not good for at least one YouTube course? If you can put a million people on a YouTube channel, are you not good for at least one e-course on how to build a YouTube channel? You couldn't do that? One e-course. These cats are fools, man. They just, they just do not know what they're doing. But they do know what they're doing in some things. I'm not saying they're complete fools. I'm just saying, you, you know, they don't understand the power of their brand. I guess that's what I'm saying. And it's, you know, no harm, no foul. It's just, I just think it's sad because, you know, there's so, I see so many YouTube content creators out there complaining about this yellow dollar sign of death and how they're losing thousands and thousands of dollars because of all these crazy changes, right? I even hear them talking about people with millions of subscribers talking about how they're going to have to go and get a normal job because they don't know what they're going to do because this YouTube thing's not paying the way it used to, right? And it's amazing to me because I'm thinking in my mind like, are you kidding me? You've built this giant brand with millions of subscribers and now you're talking about going out and getting a normal job. It's amazing to me. It's perception, right? It's just perception. You, you don't understand what you have. You, you don't get it. I remembered when I worked uh, at a normal job and, you know, if you would have said, Cam, dude, we need to come up with a thousand bucks in two days. I would have said, well, damn, man, I, I don't know where I'm going to get that kind of money. I, you know, I, I mean, I don't know who I could borrow it from. I'm going to have to borrow it from somebody. I don't have that much money to, I can't come up with a thousand bucks in two days. And now if you said, Cam, we need to come up with a thousand bucks in two days, I, I will say, okay, let me see. Um, I'm going to reach out to my email list and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to run a sale on a, on a product, you know, or I'm going to find a really good affiliate product to promote and I'm going to reach out to my email list and I'm going to reach out to my audience and I'm going to sell a product and we'll make it happen. Right. But there's a, uh, a paradigm shift that's required to make that jump, you know, because the cam that worked at a job didn't understand how that was possible. It, it was not fathomable. Right. But the camera today sees it as just something that can be done. It's, it's like going outside and starting your car. You just have faith that it's going to start when you go out there. Um, but yeah, I couldn't connect those dots back then. And it's amazing. And I think a lot of these YouTubers um, out there uh, that are dealing with this stuff can't connect those dots right now. They have a, It's amazing. you know. They figured out how to put millions of subscribers on a, on a YouTube channel, but they haven't connected those dots. They haven't made that paradigm shift to being true entrepreneurs, to being true marketers. And I think the reason why is because YouTube's easy. It's easy, man. It's easy to put a video on YouTube and hit a button that says monetize. That's easy. It's a lot harder to create something and sell it. 
to figure out how to sell it, right? You never had to learn those skills. So this is a different skill set, right? It's a different skill set. Now, I know I'm ranting on a little bit about this YouTube thing. I get it. I'm, I'm ranting and rambling on. But here's what I want you guys to understand. Although I know that the climate on YouTube is different now, I get it. I get it. It's a little bit weirder of a climate. It's a little bit harder to make money with ad revenue. There's a little bit more competition. Let me tell you guys something. None of that stuff matters. All right. Here's what matters about YouTube. It is an audience building platform. It's an audience building machine. I mean, when the hell in the history of the earth has anyone ever said, hey, you want a TV show? Here you go. It's free. Just start it up and start publishing. You can have a TV show. There you go. Do whatever you want to do. It's never been possible in human history just to just get a TV show handed to you. You get, you get the keys to a TV show handed to you. You can make it about whatever you want. And guess what? Everyone's on YouTube. It's like the largest website in the world. It's the most visited. It's the most popular website in the world. It's second only to Google. And Google's a search engine. It doesn't count. It's just a portal to other websites. YouTube's not a portal to other websites. It's a place where people actually hang out and, and, and stay, right? So YouTube's number two and Facebook's number three. I mean, damn, whatever you wanted to make a YouTube channel about, whatever you wanted to make a television show about, your audience is already on YouTube. You don't have to go out and find them. They're already there. They are already there. All you have to do is publish consistently. And that's it. That's it. So <clears throat> we talk about, um, we talk about, um, you know, publishing consistently it comes that comes back to that again you know youtube is is fantastic guys don't discredit youtube don't think you've missed the boat on youtube don't think that that ship has sailed that's complete nonsense complete and utter nonsense it's an audience building machine right if you have the balls to put yourself on video you should have a youtube channel right now if you if you want to be a marketer that's just the way it is just the way it is that's all I'm going to say about it. I want to talk to you guys about uh, some ideas for starting an online business. Kind of had a theme this week of uh, you know just how to start and stuff like that. I got a lot of questions in my email inbox about how to get started. So I kind of wanted to theme this show around you know getting started and stuff like that. But uh, anyways. I was reading this article about starting an online business. I thought I'd read some of them to you. I thought I'd read some of them to you. So here's 25 businesses that you can start for less than $100. You guys tell me if you're ready. Robert Miller. Robert Miller's asking me where my Boston hat is. You know what? I, I got my Boston hat right there. Right there. I got the wrong hat on. I got the dragon hat on tonight. I'm wearing the dragon. You don't want to know what that symbol means. It means the dragon. <clears throat> I've been working on my house all week, man. I bought a house. I bought a house a few weeks ago, and I'm learning all this crazy home repair stuff. Man, I was. I'm redoing the bathroom. I was rehabbing my bathroom, ripping out the walls, taking out all the tiles. My wife wants a new everything in the bathroom. It's insane. 
<laughs> so I'm learning how to do everything. I'm learning how to do everything in the bathroom, and uh, I'll be I'll be damned if I didn't slice my finger open on one of those ceramic tiles. If you're in the bathroom and you're trying to take out some ceramic tiles, let me tell you something. Those ceramic tiles are sharp. <laughs> they are sharp as hell, man. You better wear some gloves, and you better be careful because those damn ceramic tiles will cut you, man. They will cut you. There's no doubt about that. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> All right, let me tell you guys about uh let me tell you guys about this uh let me tell you guys about these business ideas. All right. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right. These are business ideas that you can start for less than a hundred bucks. All right. First one is ClickBank e products, right? Start a digital product business with no investment. Doesn't even take you a hundred dollars to start in, in a digital product uh, business, guys. I run a digital publishing business. This is legit. This is a legitimate way to make money. All right. Digital publishing is huge. It's on the rise. It's on the rise. More and more people are getting comfortable with e-learning. People would rather learn things on their computer than go to conventional schools. To go to to go to colleges, more people are going to be learning on their computers. That's why when you go to colleges, they got all these online courses now. I bet you within ten years, all grade school and elementary schools will be taught online. Within ten years, that's a bold claim, my friend. I'm making it right now. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying I like it. I'm just saying I, I think that's where we're headed, man. I'm just saying I think that's where we're headed. I'm not saying I like it. I, I think it's kind of creepy, to be honest. I think it kind of sucks. But, I mean, it, it's okay. It's cool. I mean, uh, you know. But I, I just think that's where we're headed, man. Think about it. You know, think about it for a second. Imagine it, 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 the school, the, the amount of resources that's spent at a school, all the teachers that have to be paid, all the resources that have to be bought, I mean, I must have spent five or six hundred dollars in school supplies this year for my kids before they got started, and that doesn't even count clothes shopping. But think about all that, man, and think about all the resources that are spent. Eventually, the government's going to be like, you know what, man? Why don't we just put up a bunch of uh, online schools? It's going to be much cheaper. You know, we're not going to have to pay as much for teachers. It, the whole situation is just going to be better. It's going to be less of a draw on resources. I mean, it's just, it's coming, you guys. It's coming. You know, e-learning is the future. That's just the way it is. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's bad. Um, you know, I'm kind of an old school dude, you know. I kind of hate the rise of the machines, to be honest. It's, it's, it's a weird kind of, it's a weird kind of juxtaposition, man, because, you know, here I am. I make my living on the internet, and yet I don't trust the damn computers. <laughs> It's it's a weird it's a weird uh it's a weird juxtaposition, man. It's a weird position to be in. <clears throat> All right, let's move on, man. Auto parts. To demonstrate the range of potential businesses you can start for less than hundred dollars, begin with an unlikely one. Steve Farmer, upon graduating from college, decided to start a business wholesaling collision parts. He says within two weeks. He'd started his own business with 50 bucks, built it up, and ran it for almost three years. 
He used his car until he could afford a truck, and he bootstrapped his way to success. Uh, eventually, he sold that business, started a new one, this time a specialty candy store. His new company's website reports. It's interesting. Wholesale car parts. I guess he used this car to like drive him around to different people. It's interesting. Used books. This is my first business right here, used books. I began online by selling used books on Amazon. When you see a textbook at a rummage sale, visit bookscouter.com using your smartphone. See what buyers are paying and then offer half or less of that. The big margins are in textbooks, but online buyers accept many types of used books and offer pay for shipping with a printable label. Retailing them yourself on Amazon is another option. On the Abundant Wife website, one woman tells of selling books from around her house for $371.14 on Amazon. Good way to start with nothing. Once you learn the market, you can parlay your profits into expansion, perhaps doing some online arbitrage by buying cheap used books from eBay auctions, selling to the big online vendors. Yeah, that's legit, man. You can make good money with used books. I'll tell you a couple things about the used book game. Textbooks are seasonal. Textbooks are seasonal. People, people buy textbooks at, at the beginning of quarter, at the beginning of the quarters, beginning of the semesters, two times a year. At the beginning of the semesters is when people get hot and heavy into the textbooks, right? There's a lot of great, man, I mean, look, you can go to thrift stores and you can go to garage sales and find textbooks. You got to look for the right edition, man. They come out with new edition on those textbooks every couple of years. Um, but if you look at that edition of the book, you can kind of see all the previous editions and you can see how frequently they're coming out. If you can see the release in a new edition like every three years and you can see, okay, this edition was released a year and a half ago. Okay, you got the most current edition. Okay. But the, 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 the value plummets when they release a new edition. I mean, damn textbook will be worth $300. And then as soon as it comes out with a new edition, now it's worth like three bucks. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it's like an artificial market. It's inflated from colleges and stuff. So, But it's cool though, man. Another thing that has value when it comes to used books is uh, hymnals. If you're ever out at like garage sales or if you're ever out at like, um, you know, thrift stores or rummage sales or or whatever and you find some hymnals like some church hymnals those got those are worth money man i i would sell hymnals all day long i bought a church library one time folks i was on craigslist craigslist is a great place to buy used books if, if you're looking it depends on where you're at i mean every everywhere is different but <clears throat> i'll be i was scape i was scoping craigslist every day when i was selling used books I, I found a guy who bought a church, a church, he bought a church, he didn't need the library, he sold the entire church library to me for like $100, and it was like 3,000 books, it was ridiculous. I was, I was operating my, my operation out of my house at the time, and those 3,000 books, that's what made me have to go get a climate-controlled storage unit and step up my game, step my game up. That's how I really got initiated into the world of used book selling when I bought that uh, freaking church library. But yeah, another good one is uh, uh, obscure nonfiction. Obscure nonfiction. That's how I got really started into, um, <clears throat> into uh, the used book game was obscure nonfiction. That, that stuff is, you know, and I'm talking, when I say obscure nonfiction, man, I'm talking about like 
if you find a book about like <clears throat> you find a book about like tropical fish that book is like all right whatever it's it's not going to be worth that much but if you can find a book that's about like uh you know how to breed tropical fish in the arctic ocean you know or something like that something really weird and specific that it doesn't seem like anyone would want that <clears throat> those books are usually worth a lot of money <clears throat> excuse me because th they usually had a low print run they didn't make a lot of them and usually there's a very specific kind of person that wants that book and they're willing to pay for it <clears throat> so that that's the way that goes i remember um i remember buying a couple books uh at the uh at my at my local library they always have kind of a, a a book sale there buying a couple of books for like 25 cents they were uh they were um, how to how to have a natural birth after cesarean section. This is a book for like women who wanted to have a natural birth after they'd had a cesarean section. And it's like a weird thing. Like you wouldn't even think there'd be a book about that. But but there's books about everything. But I pay like 25 cents for those books, and I'll never forget this. This is when I first kind of got started with used book selling. I got those damn books. I didn't even buy them, man. I got them off the shelf. I put them in a basket. I walked over to the the, the library computers, um, and I got on the library internet, and I figured out these books were like $35, $40 a piece on Amazon is what they were going for. I was like, are you kidding me, dude? It's really not this easy. It cannot be this easy, but it is. Sometimes it is. Sometimes making money online is easy. Yeah, natural birth after cesarean section. Holy shit. Yep. Made a bunch of money off of that. Anyways, uh, yeah, used books is a good one. House painting. In many states like Florida, for example, you do not need a license to be a painting contractor. And you start with indoor painting. You can get by with a minimum of equipment. Okay, so we're talking about, we're talking about businesses that you can start for less than $100. Um, if you live in a state where you don't need a license to be a paint contractor, start with indoor painting, get by with minimum equipment. You can learn some helpful tips from YouTube videos on house painting, free Home Depot workshops, and some practice painting around your own home. Matt Shoup tells U.S. News and World Report he started with 100 bucks and went door to door, eventually building a painting business with an annual revenue of $2.5 million. That's crazy, man. That is crazy. House painting. I'm not really a fan of painting myself. I don't really like painting that much. But if you don't mind painting, man... <laughs> You can get in on that for less than a hundred bucks. I kind of wonder how much it would cost to get your painting license anyway. I mean, how much would it cost to be a, a painting contractor? You know, can't be that much. Can't be that much to it. Window cleaning. Another one of the businesses you can start for less than a hundred dollars is window cleaning business. However, to efficiently clean big retail store windows, you may need more than a hundred bucks worth of equipment. So start with homes and basic tools and parlay your revenue into better equipment. You can learn the business online from any of a number of tutorials. Interesting. That's not for me, man. I remember uh, I remember when I was uh, first got out of the Navy. I first got out of the Navy and I moved to Rhode Island for a little while. I uh, 
I was tired of the medical stuff, you know. I was a I was a corpsman in the Navy, so that's kind of like a medic. And I did that for five years, and I was real burnt out on it when I first got out, man. And and I was like, man, forget this medical stuff. I was so stupid back then, too, man, because the Navy said, hey, man, you got a lot of experience. Uh, you can test out to have your LPN. And if you don't know what that is, that's a licensed practical nurse. I could have tested out for it. And I was like, no thanks, man. I'm done with this medical crap. So what did I do, man? This big dumb animal. He moved to uh, he moved to Rhode Island and got a job unloading trucks for Target. <laughs> That's what I did. I, I, went, I moved to Rhode Island and got a job unloading trucks for Target for ten bucks an hour. <laughs> it was a waste. It was a waste of a of a very expensive education that the Navy gave me. Um, and then, oh, how does that tie into window cleaning? All right, let me tell you. So what happened was I decided to pick up a second job because I was a glutton for punishment. And I got a job as the maintenance man at McDonald's down the road. And uh, I, uh, I cleaned their windows and fixed their stuff. So, yeah, I cleaned their windows and fixed their stuff. And I cleaned their windows in the morning, fixed their stuff as the day went on. And, uh, yeah, and for a while that's what I did, man. Um, it, I'll tell you something, it's not that much fun cleaning windows, to be honest with you. And, uh, you know, what can I say? Um, well, I'll tell you what I wanted to say, but I, I don't really want to get into it. And what I wanted to say was working at McDonald's made me very aware of the, the, the social classes, right? Because it's a, you know, all right, whatever. I'll just get into it. Okay. Look, here's the thing. All right social classes, right? You treat a doctor a certain way when you walk into the doctor's office, not the same way you treat the clerk at McDonald's, right? You treat a lawyer a certain way, not the same way that you treat the maintenance guy, right? It sucks. We're all human beings. We all deserve a certain level of respect. But what I didn't realize was, man, the social classes are there. Just because you don't see them doesn't mean they don't exist. You know, you get talked to a certain way. I mean, when I was a corpsman in the Navy, I got respect. But very shortly after that, I got out of the Navy and I was unloading trucks at Target and like all the respect disappeared. And then I went on to be a maintenance man at a McDonald's and I got treated like dirt. <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding me? I mean, I still had the mentality of a guy who saved lives. But here I am washing windows being treated like dirt. So this is like the social class thing going on. Man, I think everyone deserves a certain level of respect. I think all human beings deserve a certain level of respect. I don't give a shit what you do. You know, whatever you do for money, you deserve a certain level of respect. But, you know, man, society is ugly. Everybody says that. I can say that right now that everyone deserves a certain level of respect. And you know what? A hundred out of a hundred people will agree with me. However, in reality, people just don't act that way. It's like a subconscious thing, you know? You walk into a doctor's office, you treat a doctor with a certain level of respect, you walk into the grocery store, you don't treat the cashier with that same level of respect as you did that doctor. It's weird, why not? Why, why not? It's just money, man, it's money. It's like we respect that that doctor makes so much money, right? And you say, oh, it's not money, it's the education. No, it's not the education, dude, it's not the education. It's truly not the education. It's the money. 
If you if you meet a millionaire, you're going to treat that millionaire with a certain level of respect. That's why so many people buy these crazy expensive cars. It's status. It's a status thing. It's no. It's just a status thing. There's no reason under the sun why someone needs a Bugatti. No real reason under the sun. Why is there a million dollar car on the market? There's no reason for it. Cars shouldn't have to cost a million dollars. There's no reason for it. The only reason for it is because you, they can. They make them cost a million dollars because they can make them cost a million dollars because someone's going to buy the thing for a million dollars because of status. Status is the only reason. So there's a difference in social classes. I don't know how I went from window cleaning to social status and class class war, but <laughs> whatever, man. It's a thing, all right? It's a damn thing. <laughs> Pet sitting. Pet sitters charge as much as $100 for overnight stays, and $20 is typical for a 20-minute visit. Wow, $20 for 20 minutes. You can start by offering your services to friends and family and use the profits to build your professional credentials, perhaps by joining an organization like the National Association of Professional Pet Sitters. I didn't know that was a thing. Did you guys know that was a thing? The National Association of Professional Pet Sitters? It's amazing. I didn't know that was a thing. I wonder if there's a National Association of Professional Window Cleaners. Hmm. It's interesting. To grow this business into a large income, you eventually need employees or subcontractors. Yep. Taxi service. With ride-sharing platforms like Uber, you can turn the car you already own into a business today without spending a dollar. If all goes well, you might parlay the money you make into a regular taxi or chauffeur service. Of course, once again, your goal if you want bigger profits is to eventually hire employees or subcontractors. Let me tell you something about this taxi service thing. All right. Uber, Uber is being sued by Google for stealing their driverless car technology. If you don't believe me, go look it up. Go look it up, man. Google it. <laughs> Uber is being sued by Google for the driverless car technology. Supposedly, they stole it. Let me tell you something. Uber's most expensive overhead is what they have to pay their drivers. All right? If they could find a way to not have to pay their drivers, they would be so much more profitable, right? So they're going in that direction. Trust and believe it. Within 10 years, Uber will be a driverless car company. There won't be drivers behind those cars anymore. Trust, trust and believe it. 10 years from now, you'll look back on this podcast and you'll say, damn, Cam was right. Damn Uber, man. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, what I'm telling you is I don't think that's a good business plan. That's what I'm telling you, right? I think, I think that within 10 years, it's going to be driverless technology. Unless you can start your own taxi service and not drive for Uber, and then you can, you can own the driverless car fleet. Yeah, that'd be a different situation then. That wouldn't be a bad – that'd be a pretty nice boss-ass move right there. You own the fleet. All right, tutoring. When I first got out of the Navy, I moved to Rhode Island like I told you guys, but then eventually I moved back to Ohio where my homeland is, where I'm from. And uh, one of the little side businesses I started when I got back to Ohio was guitar lessons. Um, you know, I was charging 
$20 for half an hour, I think. Uh, my half an hour has went over. And sometimes they'd be like 45 minutes or whatever. But uh, yeah, $20. Didn't take too long, man. I put flyers in the local guitar stores and uh, you know, it didn't take too long and I was, I was making money with that. But uh, tutoring. One of the businesses you can start for less than 100 bucks. Used to be more difficult to market your tutoring services, but online platforms make it easier than ever. If you're able to help students with academic subjects, sign up with a website like tutor.com. You guys heard of tutor.com? T-U-T-O-R.com. If you prefer to tutor people on a wider variety of subjects like chess, sports, cooking, or singing, try ysant.com. That's W-Y-S-A-N-T.com. <clears throat> Tutors commonly charge up to $50 per hour. And although these websites take a healthy cut of that, they provide a no-cost way to start. From there, you can build a local clientele and start hiring others to work for your business. You guys have any skills you could do tutoring? Tell you what, man. I have a lot of Hispanic people in my neighborhood. I bet I bet uh, I bet I could tutor some English. I bet I could tutor some English. I don't know. I don't know. I just don't have time for that kind of stuff right now, man. I'm too busy with my online business. But I'll tell you what, if you guys are in an area where you feel like you could teach English, man, roll for it. Do it, man. Rock and roll on that. Tour guide service. <laughs> Nobody around here wants to have a tour. But maybe you live in an area where uh, you got some uh, tourist attractions. Again, the internet has made all the difference in lowering the barriers to start a business. Forget about business cards, at least at first. Trying to get travel agencies to recommend your guide service. You know an area well, you simply sign up with a website like Vayable, V-A-Y-A-B-L-E.com. Let them find your customers for a cut of the revenue. Once you know the ropes to make some money, you can encourage returning visitors to come to you and land your new employees directly. Tax preparation. You guys know about tax preparation. What better and cheaper way to learn a business and get paid for your training? Search tax preparation, no experience on job websites like Indeed.com. You'll find plenty of companies willing to train you for jobs, preparing tax returns, at least during tax season. That's kind of a part-time job, guys. <clears throat> Excuse me. Flooring business. Oh, man. Flooring business. I'll tell you what, man. That's hard work. I just ripped up all the carpet, all the carpet tax out of my house. Uh-uh-uh. That's hard work. Had to scrub down all those floors, put down this kill stuff. Toby Woodward has been in the flooring business for 25 years. He tells Construction News, I started my business with $50 and a box of business cards. His company, Aladdin Floors, started out doing just installation in order to avoid the need to invest in inventory. Again, the lesson is clear. Look for the low-cost entry point and parlay revenues into expanding the business. Cleaning service. Think a low-cost entry point to keep your startup cost under 100 bucks. You can clean houses with all the supplies and equipment you already use for cleaning your own home and then invest profits into a specialized equipment for other clients. I was on Craigslist the other day looking around for contractors that handle some of the work in my house, and uh, you won't believe what I saw, you guys. You will not believe 
what I saw. Let me get a drink of water and I'll tell you what I saw. Sexy, sexy maid service. <laughs> I saw a sexy maid service on Craigslist, man. So the way it works is you hire this lady to come out to your house and clean your house. And she's wearing a really like sexy, skimpy outfit. <laughs> I thought it was weird, man. I thought it was really weird. I, I, don't, I didn't know what to think of it. I was kind of wondering how that worked. Is she supposed to clean the house? And like, are, are you, are you, are, do you look at her? Is that what it's all about? Do you just kind of sit there and look at her and like, kind of perv out on this girl while she's cleaning your house? Or are you supposed to like, just kind of pretend like she's not there and just not, not think about it, not notice it. Just let it, let it go. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to figure it out. I, I, I should have pulled it up, man. I should have pulled it up. It was like sexy maid service you know, to clean your house and fulfill all your, all your cleaning fantasies or something. I, I don't know. I don't know what that means, man. All your cleaning fantasies, sexy maid service. I was thinking about it though. I was thinking about, I mean, I wasn't thinking about doing it. Listen, I can only handle one woman in my life. That's it. I can't take any more women in my life. I don't understand how these guys cheat on their wives, to be honest with you. I don't understand how they do it. It makes no sense to me. I mean, One's enough. That's what I tell my wife all the time. One's enough. I'm good. I'm good on one. <laughs> One's enough. Uh, <laughs> flea market vending. Flea market vending. Flea markets are alive and well in many places around the country, and you can locate the ones closest to you with an online guide. Start on a budget, find a market that lets you pay for a space by the day, often less than $20. Often less than $20. While you're there, look around for a low-cost niche you can invest into your profit into. What profit? That's what you made by selling everything in your house that you otherwise would have given away or dumped at a rummage sale. I'll tell you something, man. I've tried a few different businesses in my life, and this flea market vending is one of them. I've actually tried this flea market vending thing. I thought I was going to be a candle maker for a while. I really did. I I thought I, I cooked up this harebrained scheme that I was going to uh, make uh, I was going to make uh, goat's milk candles, and I uh, I thought I could get a deal on my supplies by driving to get them myself. I drove all the way to Cleveland. It was about four hours from here to get my supplies for candles, candle making. I don't know what the hell I was thinking, man. I really don't know what I was thinking. But I got these candles together. I put them all together. I, I made a bunch of candles. Um, me and my ex-wife um, put all these candles together. Went to the biggest flea market I could find, man. This, this was like the Super Bowl of flea markets. I had one table. I had one little table with a bunch of candles sitting on it and a couple of lawn chairs. Went out to this flea market. Everyone else's booth looked like miniature stores. They had cash registers. They had aisles. They had the works. They looked awesome. I had a booth 
It was completely empty with one table in the middle of it, a, a poster board that I bought for 50 cents at the grocery store that said candles for sale on the front and some candles sitting on the table. <laughs> it was insane. I talked to a bunch of people though, man. People kept on coming up. If you think about it, maybe it was a pattern interrupt. Maybe because everybody else's you know, store looked so good, maybe my store was a pattern interrupt. But I had people coming up, man, and I was talking to them, sold some candles, probably sold like $80 or $100 worth of candles that day. I don't know. Maybe not. I don't remember. That might be wishful thinking. I probably only sold like two. <laughs> I don't know. I talked to several people, but I didn't come back for the second day of the weekend. I remember that. One day was enough, and then it was over. But, uh, yeah, and that was the end of that. Uh, homemade soaps. Grocery delivery. If you own a car, you have what you need to start delivering groceries. Webvan and others have failed to make grocery delivery work on a large scale. There's a market for small timers as evidenced by the many shopping services that are online. I think that's a cool, cool idea. Honestly, you guys, I was thinking about that for a while. I thought, you know, just doing some, you know, putting ads on Craigslist. You know, a lot of elderly people, uh, you know, there's a lot of elderly people around that have trouble getting to the grocery store, man. You know, grocery delivery, they would love that, man. I, I, I definitely think there's potential there. I definitely do. There's no doubt about it. Errand service, kind of in the same grain there. An errand service can be a natural business to tie into the grocery delivery or vice versa. Once again, if you already have a car, you're ready to get started. People often need someone to check their dog at home or to run to the store if they're homebound. To start with almost no cost and to get a feel for what kind of work the business might involve, sign up with TaskRabbit.com. You guys heard of TaskRabbit.com? It's getting a little bit of a name for itself. People have heard of TaskRabbit. It's an online platform that connects people with who need errands done with those willing to do them for an Agreed upon price. The elim this eliminates the need to spend money on marketing yourself, at least at first. You might discover a particular niche that suits you and is profitable. For example, if you get a lot of calls to bring pets to vet appointments, you might reposition yourself as a pet taxi service. That's fantastic, man. That's a fantastic idea. That's absolutely just amazing. Sometimes I think the only thing that separates people from, from just being just outrageously awesome and 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 just successful is just ambition man sometimes it's just a lack of ambition you know maybe a lack of confidence maybe just a lack of just the willing just to put yourself out there i was telling my wife the other day man you know being shy gets you nowhere you know we were talking about it my wife's not shy we were just having a conversation about personalities and and different people Different, the way different people are because we have two kids, you know, and when you have two kids, you're always thinking about personalities and you're always thinking about your kids' personalities and other people's personalities and, and all this kind of stuff. You're always thinking about it. And, um, we were just thinking about, you know, outgoing people versus confident people versus shy people. Um, you know, I know me personally, when I was in school, when I was a kid, I was a shy kid, man. It took me a while to come out of my shell and just to kind of get my confidence about me. Um, but, but it's one thing I know about being shy, man. Being shy will get you nowhere in this world. It really will.
It'll get you nowhere. It'll get you to the back of the line. That's what it'll get you, to the back of the line. Not speaking up, not saying anything when you want something will get you nowhere. I was, I was, man, I was reading a story today about a lady who had a job for 10 years and never got a raise, was unhappy because she never got a raise, was telling her friend about the fact that she never got a raise. And her friend says, well, have you ever asked for a raise? And she said, no. And he said, well, why don't you ask for a raise? And she's like, I don't know. I just couldn't do it. Well, do it, man. Just do it. Let's see what happens. What's the worst that could happen? So she goes in there the next day. She says, hey, listen, I've been here for 10 years. I do a great job. I think I need to get a raise. I think I need to start getting regular raises. And they said, okay, no problem. That was it. So for 10 years, she didn't get a raise just because she didn't ask for a raise. <laughs> the squeaky wheel gets the grease. I know you guys have heard that one before. The squeaky wheel gets the grease, and it couldn't be truer. It could not be truer. But, you know, I was always kind of raised to feel like, you know, the squeaky wheel is annoying. The squeaky wheel needs to stop complaining so much. You can say what you want to say, and I'm not saying you should go out there and complain about everything. Complaining gets you nowhere, but asking for things gets you things, you know? When you want something, put it out there into the universe that you want it, and it will come to you, right? This I know to be true. I've experienced this on several occasions, all right? Freelance bartending. You can learn how to mix any one of thousands of drinks with a free online cocktail guide. But to get hired as a freelance bartender, it helps to have real experience. That doesn't have to require a job, though. You might volunteer to attend a bar for charity events, a good way to get experience and market yourself to potential paying clients. Entrepreneur.com reports the startup cost of freelance bartending at under $2,000, but you can keep it under $100 if you start with clients who have the necessary equipment or by bartending for parties where expectations are minimal. Entrepreneur.com says you can make up to $300 per day when you tally up your wages and tips. The next step is hiring help at $10 an hour and billing clients $25 an hour for them. Pretty interesting, man. I never thought about that freelance bartender angle. That's pretty wild. Remember that movie Cocktails? Tom Cruise? He was a bartender. Anybody remember that? That was pretty old. I think that's from, an eight, that's from the 80s. Dog training. You guys, you guys get the dog training angle. You start the business at home, keeping costs low. I tell you what, I know a lady who needs a dog trainer. I'll tell you that. She's got this crazy dog. It tries to kill everybody, man. It tries to kill everybody. You can't walk outside without this dog trying to kill you. It's amazing. Freaking dog. I don't know what's wrong with it, man. It's got emotional issues, man. This dog is mentally unbalanced. Dog training. Drop shipped products. What makes drop shipping so attractive is exactly what lands it on this list. There are no big startup costs or expensive investments in inventory. You can sell products online, collect payment, pay suppliers, and let them send out the products, even using your company logo if you like. There are many drop ship product suppliers online. Some provide a variety of products, or if you're going to specialize in one product or product line, you can locate a manufacturer that drop ships. Just do your research and be sure you find a reputable company. A website is one way to make 
sales, although not the only way. You can also sell on auction sites like eBay.com. Guys, listen, let me tell you something. This drop shipping thing, there's more to this. All right, that little paragraph right there, it doesn't it doesn't go into all the nuances of drop shipping, right? There's a lot of scammy shit out there when it comes to drop shipping. If you want to get into the drop shipping business, you got to be careful who you're dealing with. Um, there's a yeah, I'm not going to go into that too much. That that could be an entire podcast in itself. This whole drop shipping angle. Uh, just be careful out there. I've done some videos on drop shipping in the past. Uh, be careful with the drop shipping thing. There's a lot of scams out there. Um, be careful with the whole like fake goods stuff too, man. Um, I remember I was trying to really, really get hot and heavy into um, into hats, like baseball caps, like snapbacks. I was trying to get hot and heavy into them. I was going to order a bunch and um, – they were fake, man. They were fake. There's a lot of fake goods out there, and uh, that kind of goes hand-in-hand -hand with the drop shipping. And if you're thinking you're going to drop shipping and send it right to Amazon or something, you got to be very, very careful to make sure those goods are not counterfeit. And also, a lot of drop shipping companies out there that you find on the internet, they're not true drop shipping companies. They're middlemen. They're taking a small little cut. They're not true drop shipping companies. Usually, to do true drop shipping, you need a wholesale license. You need a wholesale license. You need a license to buy things at wholesale, first of all. And then you got to find a company that, you know, generally to really do good drop shipping, what you want to do is you want to make a couple of orders first with the company. A couple of wholesale orders first, see how things go. And then once you start to build that relationship with the wholesaler, then start talking about drop shipping. Right, that's that's kind of the way to go about that. What you have to understand: sometimes these companies will, will will cut you out, man. They'll just start competing with you on the platform. So it's it can be kind of competitive. You got to be careful with drop shipping. Social media management. Social media management. Now we're getting into the real stuff. Now, man, businesses need help managing their social media presence. In particular, they need to tweet on Twitter and post on Facebook in order to raise awareness of their social companies and promote their products. You may already know how to use these and many other social media platforms. Learn a little more with online tutorials, how to become a social media consultant. You guys remember Ty Lopez just put a uh, course out not too long about, too long ago about a social media agency talking about this exact thing. I think that's a pretty good opportunity right now. I don't, I don't think that opportunity is going to go anywhere, you guys. I think that social media management opportunity is going to get bigger and bigger. I don't think it's a bad time to jump on that right now. I really don't. Virtual assistant. Ah, it's service work, man. If you have a phone, a computer, and internet access, you can be a virtual assistant. This is one of the hot new businesses you can start for less than $100. Social work can be very different with each client, but may include a Preparing reports, researching, editing, social, managing appointments, setting, and many other services. Yeah. Scrap metal recycling. Oh, my God. Scrap metal recycling. A search for your garage and shed might be all you need to scrap metal recycling business. It's one of those businesses you can start for less than 100 bucks. Copper and aluminum are the most valuable of the common metals, and almost every community has one or more scrap metal buyers. Once you made your first sale, start looking for new supplies. 
I tell you something, man. That scrap metal business would get old real quick. Yeah, it'd get old real quick. <clears throat> How big can you grow a business like this? Stephen Greer went to Hong Kong with almost nothing after college. Built a scrap metal recycling business worth $250 million. Amazing. Consulting. This is a good opportunity, guys. And everybody knows it right now. Okay, so you know enough about a subject to advise others, but you don't have the money to properly launch a consulting business? Start anyhow. Spend $10 for business cards at a low-cost provider. Put up a website for $60 the first year with a domain, a website hosting package. Once you have a few customers who value your knowledge more than a fancy presentation, you can spend some of your profits and build a more professional organization. That's part of my business, you guys. Digital publishing and consulting, that's what I do. That's a good business. That's a damn good business. All right. Last one, guys, logo design. If you're an artistically inclined designing logos is relatively simple business to start. You can service the high end doing very unique logos or provide low-cost designs that start from templates and are modified to suit the client. One of the easiest ways to get started is on Fiverr.com. You guys knew that. A look at the stats for the logo designers there shows the size of the market. The top-rated logo designers have over 6,000 customer reviews. Fiverr takes a dollar for each $5 sale, so you might wonder how sellers make money. It's all about the extra services. Many of the logo designers keep it there, keep it really simple for a basic sale. Add a company name to a template, but offer extra services that can add $100 or more to an order. Find that first sale with little or no capital investment, and then use the profit to expand. That's how you start a business for less than $100. Guys, with the Fiverr thing, I really advise you to make sure you get a current course on Fiverr. Find yourself a current course on Fiverr. Find all the current information on Fiverr. Fiverr's changing. Fiverr's dynamic. Whenever you find uh, something online that makes it pretty easy to make money, you know, you're going to find a lot of sellers. You're going to find that it gets saturated. And there's nothing wrong with it being saturated as long as you know how to navigate, as long as you know how to you know, be seen as long as you had to, you know, build your own customer base. So just make sure you're, you're, uh, you know, doing the, the right research when it comes to Fiverr. I mean, you know, Fiverr's changed a lot just in the last 12 to 15 months. So that's what I'd say about that. You want to know my favorite thing on this list, guys? My two favorite things on this list are consulting. Well, three consulting, social media management, and uh, you know, digital publishing. Those are my three favorite things on this thing. I think those are the things with the most potential on this list. That's my opinion on it. It's my opinion on it. What do you guys think? What do you think of the list? I'll tell you. It's a crazy list, man. I could talk about businesses like that for hours. Just hours talking about businesses. There's a lot of potential in the social media management. That's not going away anytime soon. I get a lot of crazy emails, you guys. I get a lot of crazy emails uh, every single day. And, and some of them are questions and some of them are just weird, straight weird. Here's one I got the other day. All right. When clicked on the link provided, it sent me to my Gmail address. And when clicked on it, it said it is not the link for my purchase. 
So I want you to refund all my purchase on this offer. I despise OTOs. I wish you SOB gave me the effing price for the silly ass effing course so I can see it. So I can see if I can't afford the effing thing. Now he actually uses the F, but he's dropping F bombs here, guys. I'm just, I'm censoring it for this program, but he's dropping F bombs. As far as I'm concerned, you can shove all the OTOs up your a-hole. He actually uses the real word. I'm not going to do it here. Um, and F you. Oh, I mean, thank you. That was an email I got asking for a refund. What do you guys think about that? Is that how you approach people when you want a refund? When was the last time you went to Walmart and said something like that when you were taking back a pair of pants? It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing the things the things I deal with on a daily basis. It's, it's outrageous, honestly. Luckily, I have a nice I have a very special refund policy in place. My refund policy is as states. Use my product for 30 days as taught. And if you do not see results, contact me for a full refund. Use my product for 30 days as taught. And if you do not see results, contact me for a full refund. This refund policy has saved me from so many fools like this one right here. So many fools. People who buy products and want refunds within two hours, you know, it's, it's like, look, I got a refund policy in place, right? Some people just want to see what's in the box. Some people just want to see what's in the box. I sell information, okay? I sell information. When was the last time you went to the movie theater, went into the movies, watched the movie, and then came out and said, I hated this movie, I want a refund? It's never happened. It never will happen because if you tried it, the movie theater would laugh at you. They would laugh at you. They'd tell you to get out of here. They wouldn't give you a refund. You might have not liked the movie, but you consumed the information. You consumed the movie. Walmart has a very generous refund policy. Walmart will not refund you for digital goods that you can go home and copy on your computer like CDs or DVDs. The only reason, the only way that they'll refund you for those items is if you return them unopened with a receipt. Well, my, my problem is I sell digital products, okay? And once you buy it, now you have it. So if you ask me for a refund, like basically I have no way of knowing, you know, I mean, you could just get it for free. You got it for free. There's no way you can't have it for free. You've already seen it. You've already got it. You've got all the information from it. Now you want a refund. Well, I, I'm not into getting ripped off. Okay, so here's my thing. Here's how I protect my company. Use my product as taught for 30 days. Take action on my product. If you don't see results, I'm more than happy to give you a refund. You know, so I tell people, hey, look, the way to a refund and the way to success is the same. The fact of the matter is the stuff I sell on my products work. They actually work. All right. I teach what I do and what I do works. So if you take action, it will work for you too. If you don't take action, I can't help you, all right? Use my stuff for 30 days, and if you see no results, you know, doing the things like I taught you to do them, 
then I'll give you a refund. No problem. Um, it's a good refund policy. It's helped me a lot. And if you're going to release digital products, I highly suggest you adopt a refund policy like that. You will, if you start a digital publishing business, you will have to deal with people like this who just call you names and just spout utter stupidity, you know, for no reason. This guy wanted a refund. He didn't even tell me what product he bought. He didn't even tell me what product he bought. The guy didn't even tell me what product he bought. I had to ask him what product he even bought. I didn't even know what he's talking about. It's amazing. I mean, I just don't understand. I just don't understand, man. I really just don't understand. It's, 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 out, it's outrageous. Have you, guys, have you guys heard the story of the one red paperclip about the guy who started with a red paperclip and then he, uh, he traded his way, he bartered his way up to buying a house. He started with a red paperclip. This guy, Kyle McDonald, he started a website called One Red Paperclip. And it's interesting. He bartered his way from a single paperclip, a single red paperclip, all the way to a house in a series of 14 online trades over the course of a year. Excuse me. Took him a year to do it. So he was inspired by the childhood game Bigger Better. So <clears throat> it's interesting. It's interesting. So well, here's how it went, right? Um, so McDonald made his first trade. It was a red paper clip. He traded it for a fish shaped pen on July 14, 2005. He reached his goal of trading up to a house with the 14th transaction, trading a movie role for a house, right? A movie role, right? Okay. So this is the list of all the transactions McDonald made. Right. On July 14, 2005, he went to Vancouver, Canada, traded a paperclip, a red paperclip for a fish shaped pen. Right. He then traded the pen the same day for a hand sculpted doorknob from Seattle, Washington. On July 25, 2005, he traveled to Amherst, Massachusetts with a friend to trade the doorknob for a Coleman camp stove with fuel. On September 24, 2005, he went to California and traded the camp stove for a Honda generator. On November 16, 2005, he made a second and successful attempt after having the generator confiscated by the New York City Fire Department in Maspeth, Queens, to trade the generator for an instant party an empty keg and an IOU for filling the keg with beer of the bear's choice and a neon Budweiser sign. He traded the generator for that, right? Let me, let me just rewind that for a second. He traded the Honda generator for an instant party. It was an empty keg, an IOU for filling the keg with the beer of the bear's choice and a neon Budweiser sign. On December 8, 2005, he traded the instant party to Quebec comedian and radio personality Michelle Barrett for one Ski-Doo snowmobile. I mean, some of these trade-ups are amazing to me. I mean, he traded an instant party, an instant party, which is an empty keg, 
an IOU for filling the keg with beer of the Bears' choice, and a neon Budweiser sign for a Ski-Doo snowmobile. That's a pretty damn good trade. Who the hell ch trades a snowmobile for an empty keg, an IOU for filling the keg, and a neon Budweiser sign? I mean, that's a pretty damn good trade up. Within a week of that, he traded the snowmobile for a two-person trip to Yonk, British Columbia. On or about January 7th, 2006, he traded the second spot on the Yonk trip for a box truck. On or about February 22nd, 2006, he traded the box truck for a recording contract with Metalworks and Mississauga, Ontario. Now, see, that's a crazy trade to me. How would he even think to trade a recording con to trade for a recording contract? Recording contract. I mean, you want to think about like outside the box thinking. I mean, this guy really thought outside of the box, you know? A box truck for a recording contract with Metalworks. On or about April 11, 2006, he traded the recording contract to Jody Nant for a year's rent in Phoenix, Arizona. It's amazing. He traded the recording contract for a year's rent. On or about 26 of 2006, April 26, 2006, he traded the one-year rent in Phoenix, Arizona for one afternoon with Alice Cooper. It's amazing. On or, how did he get that, man? How did he even trade that? How did he even find someone who had an afternoon with Alice Cooper? I mean, where did he even find this stuff, man? On or about May 26, 2006, he traded the one afternoon with Alice Cooper for a Kiss motorized snow globe. Huh. A Kiss motorized snow globe. It seems like the afternoon with Alice Cooper would be worth more than the Kiss motorized snow globe. I don't know. On or about June 2nd, 2006, he traded the mo KISS motorized snow globe to Corbin Benson for a role in the film Donna on Demand. How, how, did he get, how did he get that? I mean, how do you trade a role in a film? I mean, I don't understand. I, how, how the hell? Well, maybe Corbin Benson must be the director of the film. So he traded the motorized snow globe for a role in the film Donna on Demand. On or about July 5th, 2006, he traded the movie role for a two-story farmhouse in Kipling, Saskatchewan. <laughs> it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So he went from a red paper clip all the way up to a house in less than a year. Pretty awesome, man. Pretty awesome stuff. You guys are just now tuning in. Um, you are listening to the Easy Money Show. Cam Fats, a.k.a. Zero Fats, a.k.a. Cam Jennings. It's brought to you on behalf of EpicConversions.com and the Epicconversions Insiders Club. That's the Netflix of the IM space where you can get free mentoring. We do a free coaching call once a month in the Epicconversions Insiders Club. We give out weekly actionable content we drop a new piece of actionable content every week we drop a new product in the insiders club every single month if you want to know what that's like check it out at epicconversions.com epicconversions.com 
Look on the right side, you'll find the Insiders Club. Got a special deal going on right now for the next day at least. At least the next day, you can give the Insiders Club for $1.99. $1.99 for a seven-day trial, and then guess how much it is. How much do you think it is for a new product every single month? Actionable content every single week. Monthly coaching call. Monthly group coaching call where all your questions are answered, any questions you have, how much you think it's worth. I can tell you it's only $10.80 a month. That's how much the Insiders Club is. Over-delivering, undercharging. That's what the Insiders Club is all about. It is the Netflix of the IM space. That's what I mean it to be. That's what I mean it to be. I'm not kidding you. <clears throat> is blogging dead? That's the question I have for you guys. I've had a couple of blogs in my day. The first blog I had was called The Life and Times of Zero Fats. I talked about making money on the internet, wrote articles on my blog. Second blog I had was after I closed adventuresontheriver.com, started a new blog. It was supposed to be the headquarters for my new business, Epic Inversions. The blog was called epicconversions.com. And uh, when I first started it, I decided I was going to publish a new blog article every single week. And I was going to try to drive traffic to my blog using social media and paid advertising and guest posting and all kinds of stuff, right? Stuff you've heard a million times, right? How do I get traffic to my blog, right? But I slowly kind of started coming to the understanding that blogging in 2017 is not what it was in 2005. Let me repeat that. Blogging in 2017 is not what it was in 2005. It's not the same thing. The conversation is not on the blog anymore. I wrongly assumed that my blog was the heart of my business. I wrongly assumed that the blog was the heart of my business. It's not. It's not the heart of my business. The blog is not the heart of my business. <clears throat> the email list is the heart of my business. <clears throat> the email list is the heart of your business. All right. The blog is the face of my business. The blog is the storefront of my business. It's what people see. It's what people associate with me. But the email list is the core of my business, right? The blog is not the core. So once I figured that reality out, once I figured that, that truth out, because there's an illusion out there that your website is the core of your business. The blog is the, is the hub of your business, so to speak. But it's an illusion. It's not, it's not true. The audience is the core of your business. The audience is, 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 the, the, audience is the business, right? And, and the, the core of the audience is the email list, which means the email list is the core of your business. And once I figure that out, then it didn't take me that long to figure out that like what was fueling my blog was content right and what was fueling my email list was content and what was fueling my presence on social media was content it was the same thing 
It was fueling everything. Content was fueling it all. The content took on a different meaning every place I put it. If I posted it on my blog, it was meant to pull in organic traffic and put people on my email list. If I put the content on my email list and sent it out to my list, it was meant to educate, it was meant to keep goodwill with my list, to keep my list warm so they cared about what I had to say. So when I did want to offer them something to, to buy, they'd be interested in buying it because they knew me, they liked me, and they trusted me because I fed them good content. If I posted the content on social media, now it was meant to be authority building. Now it was meant to take people who didn't know me and get them to start being interested in me, to get them to start following me, to get them interested in what I had going on, to indoctrinate them into my world, into my culture, right? The same content, same piece of content took on a different purpose everywhere I put it, right? So that's why if you follow me, you'll see me frequently, you know, post things in multiple places. I'll, the same content that I'll put out to my email list, I'll also put it out on Facebook. I'll also put it out on my blog. I'll also maybe do a YouTube video about it. I'll put it out in multiple places because it takes on a different purpose wherever it goes. The fuel is the same. The content, the content is just as powerful in different places, right? Just because you put it out on your blog doesn't mean you can't put it out natively on Facebook. Here's what I'm telling you. Here's what you need to get. All right. Don't just put it on your blog and try to share the URL and like drive people back to your blog to read your blog article. Don't do it. The blog article will serve you better by natively posting it on Facebook as just a post, as just a text post, right? Post it as a text post in all your groups, right? On all the groups that are relevant. Um Post it on your profile, right? Because it, being on Facebook natively, it will reach more people than it will as just like a URL back to your blog. It's going to reach a lot more people natively, and it's going to influence more people and pull more people around you, bring more people into what you're doing, right? So when we ask the question, is blogging dead? I will say, I don't think blogging is dead. I don't think blogging is the same as it was in 2005. In 2005, the conversation was on the blog. People would go to a blog regularly. They would leave comments. There'd be a conversation happening in the comment section for the blog article. It's not like that anymore. Now, people would rather take a blog article, they take a blog article, take it back over to social media and share it on Facebook and, and talk about it with their friends in the comment section on Facebook. The conversation is not on your blog anymore. People don't care about your blog. A lot of times, people will go find a blog, blog article and not even read it. They'll just read the headline and think it's cool, so they'll take it back to Facebook and share it in a group. They won't even have read it. So now you have like 25 fools sharing your blog article. None of them have even read it. You spent like three hours writing this skyscraper, this skyscraper technique epic blog post like 3,000 words. No one's even read the goddamn thing. They don't even care. They're just reading the headline and sharing it. <laughs> it's, it's stupid. It's stupid, man. 
So I wouldn't say blogging is dead, but blogging is not the same. I mean, blogging is cool for pulling in organic traffic. It's also cool uh, for giving your audience a place where they can kind of be surrounded by your message, right? They can be surrounded by your message and stuff like that. But if you want to ask me if, if a blog is essential, I wouldn't think so. No, I don't believe so at all. I don't think a blog is essential. I think an email list is essential. I don't think a blog is essential. I think a blog is a nice storefront. A blog is a nice face of your business. It's not essential. It's not essential. Uh, nice place to kind of let your audience be surrounded with your message. But, you know, it's, it's not essential. It, it is what it is, man. I don't think blogging is dead, but I, I don't think it's essential anymore. I don't think it's essential anymore. That's my opinion on it. You can take it. You can leave it. If I were you, I'd take it to the bank. So, Q&A. Like I told you guys, I, get a lot of, I got a lot of questions. Some of them are rude. Some of them are rude. I got a lot of rude emails too. I don't understand some of the emails I get, man. Some of them don't make any sense. This one made sense, though. What is the best way to use social media as a form of marketing? Which is the best platform to start with? What is the best way to use social media as a form of marketing? Which is the best platform to start with? Hey, look, man, Everyone's you, you asked 10 people this question, and I think you might get at least seven different answers. However, I'll, t I'll tell you my answer. I use social media a lot, you guys. I'm on YouTube every single day. I'm on Facebook every single day. Um, and, I'm, and I'm getting into the podcasting space now. But uh, I'll tell you something. I think the best way to use social media as a form of marketing is use it for audience building. Use these social media platforms to build your audience. Then kind of they will filter over to your email list they will filter over to your email list. And remember, your audience is the core. It, your audience is the key and the email list is the core. Okay, so that's that's my take on that. If you want to know which is the best platform to start with, well, look, I mean, I don't know if we consider YouTube a social media platform per se, but I I, I start with YouTube. Uh, and, and the reason why I start with YouTube is, look, I mean, Facebook is my second one. Okay, if I'm if I'm not starting with YouTube, I'm starting with Facebook. The reason I'm starting with Facebook like that is because everyone's on Facebook, man. Everyone sees Facebook as a natural habitat where they hang out. Like most people, a lot of people who hang out online a lot, you know, they're always checking in with Facebook, right? It's like they're always checking in with Facebook. That's like kind of like a natural habitat for people. Whatever else they do online, they always come back to Facebook. Right. So that's that's kind of like why I would say Facebook. But then with YouTube, I like YouTube better because YouTube allows you just to be the authority. I mean, people come to YouTube to watch, to learn and to be entertained. People go to Facebook to interact. Right. So there's a different uh, mindset when people are on YouTube versus when they're on Facebook. Um. You know, when people are on YouTube, they're, they're watching you. You know, you're kind of in that position of authority. And if you publish consistently, you kind of move into that position of celebrity, right? That's not something you can do as easy on Facebook, all right? You just can't, you know? YouTube allows you to kind of like, it's like an audience building machine. It puts you in the position of celebrity authority. 
Um, it's pretty awesome. I love YouTube. Um, but I, I'll go YouTube, Facebook. That's what I'd say. Um, use social media as a form of audience building. And then I go YouTube, Facebook, two biggest platforms on the internet. So I was, uh, wanting to, uh, take a minute and, uh, send my prayers out to these people in, uh, Houston, Texas, uh, hurricane Harvey is just absolutely destroying things. Um, the people listening to this aren't going to see this, but the people watching this, let me just let me show you this real quick. Um, this is crazy, man. Look at this. This is uh, the people watching this. You can see what I'm looking at. It says no relief in sight, and it's a picture of um, it's a picture of a street that's filled with water. It's filled with water. There's boats. People waist deep walking through the street. I mean, it's it's absolutely crazy, man. It's just absolutely crazy. I can't believe it. Flood water. Flood water reached the roof lines of single-story homes Monday. People could be heard pleading for help from inside as Harvey poured on rain on the Houston area for a fourth consecutive day after a chaotic weekend. Rising water and rescues. The nation's fourth largest city was still largely paralyzed by one of the largest downpours in U.S. history. And there was telling, there was telling when the effects of the storm, which surged into Texas as a Category 4 hurricane before parking itself over the Gulf Coast, would let up. There was no telling. In fact, with nearly two more feet of rain expected on top of the 30-plus inches in some places, authorities worried about whether the worst was yet to come. Harvey has been blamed for at least three confirmed deaths, including a woman killed Monday in the town of Porter, northeast of Houston, when a large oak tree dislodged by heavy rains toppled onto her trailer home. Uh, everybody say a prayer for the people in Houston tonight. Uh, I can't imagine, man. It kind of reminds me of uh it kind of reminds me of the freaking um it kind of reminds me of the freaking Katrina thing, doesn't it? Doesn't it kind of remind me remind you of Hurricane Katrina a few years back? Yeah. Yeah. It does, man. It makes you want to become an economically independent. These people are losing their lives down there. They're losing all their stuff. It sucks, man feel bad for him yeah everybody say a prayer for those guys down there tonight we're gonna wrap it up here guys this podcast comes at you on behalf of epicconversions.com and the epic conversions insiders club i want to warmly invite all you guys over to the insiders club seven day trial dollar 99 we do one coaching call a month free mentoring we do a we drop weekly actionable content Weekly actionable content drops inside the Epic Conversions Insiders Club. A new product drops every single month in the Insiders Club. We're going to drop a new product this Friday. It's called Shoot the Gift. You're going to love it. That's all I got. This is the Easy Money Show. I hope you guys are doing awesome out there on this fine, fine Tuesday evening. Good luck. Godspeed. Get on with it. Make some money. Peace, everybody.